Okay, so we're going to continue this morning with our preaching series from um, the story. We're in chapter 15 of the story. Chronological Bible. If you haven't picked up one of those Chronological Bibles, the story, we have the NIV version and we have the New King James version in the bookstore. It's an honor system. You just put the money in the in the little safe there on the, on the, uh, on the shelf. And you can uh, join us. Dive right into, the, into the, where we're at. We're in chapter 15. We're almost halfway through the, the series at this point. But um, the title of uh, this chapter, chapter 15, God's Messengers. And as I read through chapter 15... God's messengers, the beginning of the prophets, I see two major themes. I see a theme of miracles, one after another after another. Miracles, they're amazing miracles. And I see a prophetic judgment theme. I see prophets, God's prophetic judgment in the time of Joshua coming into the land was against the Canaanites in the land and pro-Israel. Now, God's shifted the judgment against Israel, saying, my favor is on you guys, but it needs to be for those that are repenting and turning fully to me. And you can't be worshiping these golden calves, this Baal worship with all this sexual immorality related to the idol worship, I'm not going to, I'm a jealous God, I'm not going to share the throne of your heart with anybody. And so there's a strong judgment motif you've noticed, both in terms of what happens to the, to the people, but also to, um, in the words of the, of the prophets that are uh, declaring the judgment. Well, let's look first at some of the miracles. We have Elijah the prophet getting fed by ravens at the brook there for almost three years. Every morning and every night, the ravens brought him bread and meat, whatever the meat was, fish and chips, I don't know. (laughs) Then you have the miracle of Mount Carmel where Elijah the prophet says to Israel, This day, you choose who you're going to serve, God or Baal. These 450 prophets of Baal, give them a bull to sacrifice, do their dance thing, do their cutting thing on their arms, or wherever they cut, where blood was actually gushing out, kind of gory. Let's see if God will answer by fire. God does, their God does not answer by fire. He's silent. Elijah mocks them. Where is he on on a trip? Is he busy? Maybe he's asleep. Then it's Elijah's turn, puts the sacrifice out there. Hey, just to make sure, let's pour eight big jars of clay jars of water on it. 
calls on God, fire from heaven consumes all the water, all the sacrifice, even the altar itself. God demonstrates he's God. And everybody says, okay, we are convinced. We are worshiping God now. So, at least for the time being, that's what they were doing. Then you have Elijah having said to King Ahab, hey, it's not going to rain for three years because you're not repent, or it's not going to rain till I say it's going to rain. And three years later, Elijah says, okay, now it's time to rain, for it to rain, and it starts to rain. And then Elijah takes off, doesn't even die, takes off in a fiery chariot in the, in the view of Elisha, his uh, student prophet there. Then the story continues with Elisha healing water for a whole town, giving a bottomless jar of oil to a widow so she can have financial favor from heaven through this oil that keeps coming out of this jar. A little boy raised from the dead in a, 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 Syrian, uh, a Syrian official of, an, of the army of, 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 of Syria, Naaman, getting his leprosy healed. We see a blind, the blind armies of, of uh, Syria being led into, into the city of uh, Israel, into the, um, it, would, would, it would be the, the um, cities, in, one of the cities of the north. Then their eyes are opened I mean, it's just one miracle after another after another, and it's, they're really a beautiful uh, series of miracles to behold. I loved reading about them. I always have. I always loved that part of the Bible, reading about Elijah and Elisha. just thrills my heart. Then we have the warnings, prophetic messages of judgment. Even with all these miracles, you have... The Bible says that God says there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, but the rest basically have, including Jezebel and Ahab, Jezebel, wicked wife of King Ahab. And Elijah and Elisha, and in this chapter we have uh, Amos and, and uh, Hosea prophesying to the, to the ten tribes in the north. Remember, the ten tribes of the north, God had, had told uh, Solomon, kingdom's going to be divided because of your wickedness. Ten tribes to the north, in the north, is call, they're called Israel. And the two little tribes, the two tribes, Judah and the, the little tribe of Benjamin, that, that country is now called Judah. And in chapter 15 of the story, Elijah and Elisha, they're prophesying to the north. And the north was particularly wicked. There was, in fact, in Israel, the kingdom of the north, 208 years of evil kings, 19 evil kings in a row. That would be like, the, for America, the War of 1812 until now, only fully wicked presidents. So you see, this was a long time of God being patient with these people, 
but sending them prophets to try to get them to turn and repent so he could bless them. And they wouldn't do it. They're hard-hearted, even in the face of all these miracles. Even Jezebel, after Elijah does this thing on Mount Carmel with the fire coming down, her response is to be angry with Elijah, not to repent. This is common sense going out the window. And whenever a culture abandons God, common sense, according to the book of Proverbs, goes out the window too. Wisdom comes from, fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It's the beginning of wisdom, common sense. Without it, no common sense anymore. So, things are are tough here in the north with Israel. Yet and yet, there's a promise remembered from all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and your seed. And Jesus the Messiah is going to be coming out of Abraham. And then the promise to David. There's going to be a ruler on your throne that will live forever. And so that promise of the Messiah is going to be coming The promise to David is going to come through Judah. So the promise of God, of the Messiah, is going to come through the southern kingdom, Judah. But God still cares about the northern kingdom and wants to bless them, but they just simply won't repent. That's what we're in the middle of at this point. I wonder where, if you're in a situation today, in the sanctuary here, at home, where God's spoken to you, you you know, you've read the miracles, heard about the miracles in the Bible, seen signs from God yourself trying to shake you up, and you're hardening your heart. This is your day to not harden your heart. This is the day, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. This is your day. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the talk today to turn to Christ and Repent, change your mind about God and get right with God. So be ready for that and start thinking about that if you're not right with God right now. And with that lengthy introduction, what uh, I want to talk about today is that God has a miracle for you. And God has a miracle for you like he did for Elijah. And I especially want to focus the story where after Elijah does this thing on Mount Carmel where the fire comes down, the rains come, Then he gets a threat from Jezebel that I'm going to kill you like I've killed the other prophets. You're you're done now too. Elijah runs away from Jezebel. He's in a greatly disappointed, discouraged state. And at that point, God gives him a miracle. We're going to read it right now. Page 215 in the story, page 215, 215 in the story, second paragraph, or 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8 and following. This is the story we're talking about today. And there he, that is Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and and he, that is God, said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Question, have all the children of Israel forsaken his covenant? Answer, no. He is believing a lie. It feels 
like something is true. Everyone has forsaken your covenant. Feels true, but it's not true. There's at least 7,000 that have not. And we just read that they had, a bunch of them had said, we will follow God. So one of the things that Satan does in our lives is cause us, if, some, if something negative or something disappointing happens to us, the enemy amplifies it in our hearts and it feels like it's going to be total disaster and trouble and God's abandoned us. That's how Elijah is feeling at this moment. And God's confronting him and saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah is being honest. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're seeking to take my life. So Elijah's thinking to himself, God did not protect those other prophets. I am a prophet, therefore God will not protect me. That's what it feels like to him. That's what feels true to him, but it's an emotional lie. It's just simply not true. Verse 11, then he said, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, now, anytime you see the word behold in the Bible, it means to take a careful look at it, give it full attention. And behold, that's what we're going to do now. Look at it. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And the implication is that that little miracle of the still, small voice was, this, was the miracle that accumulated all the miracles that Elijah had seen so far. And then he sees this, experiences this earthquake, He's, the wind, huge wind, the fire. And he knows these things are that God has caused them but he's, his, his heart is still filled with fear. But then this still small voice becomes the, the singular miracle, the culmination of the other, all the other miracles. But the miracle in Elijah's heart, in his own personal journey, where Elijah says, okay, I give up. I change my mind. I am not going to believe these lies. I'm going to believe God. I am going to welcome intimacy, the intimacy of the still small voice, the presence of God whispering to me right now. God is the prophet whisperer. In the whisper, the still small voice where we dial down and we're quiet and we are before the Lord, he draws near, talks to our hearts, and we respond. He loves that intimacy with us. He loves the, the celebration, the praise, the worship, but he, it's, that's a step towards what he loves the most, and that is drawing close in intimate, spirit-to-spirit, love-to-love, deep-calling-to-deep communion with you and with me. And our disappointments can get in the way of that. And God wants us to get unjammed from our disappointments. And so we can 
allow the miracles in the Bible and the miracles in our own lives to catalyze for us the reality that God is with us and he loves us and he wants this communion. And then we must take a step of obedience and turn from our disappointment and turn to him in intimate fellowship. This is God's supreme desire for us is to know us in that intimate fellowship in this way. The Magi, on their way from the east, followed the star, didn't they? But it seems like when they got to Jerusalem, the star is like, it's not, it's not taking them anywhere anymore. Like we're we're kind of stuck here in Jerusalem. So they go to King Herod, and where is he that's supposed to be born king of the Jews? And... Herod has this, the, the scribes look up in the word of God and in Bethlehem, the, the Messiah, the king of the Jews is to be born. And of course, Herod, that triggers in him not, not a, a genuine desire to turn to intimacy with God, but rather to harden his heart. And he does a irrational nonsensical, fully disobedient, non-common sense choice, and that is to be troubled instead of turning to God. And all of Jerusalem, tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, are influenced by the, by the uh, political leadership of the day, being troubled, being completely... Herod being completely neurotic affects the whole city. And when the, when the uh, Magi go uh, just five or seven miles up the road to Bethlehem, no one else goes. No one, they, they have a miracle, they harden their hearts. But the Magi see the star again. And, it's, and it appears before, over the manger, that miracle. And they experience God in this baby Jesus. And the, and the Bible says that they are not just joyed, but overjoyed. And I, I love this about Christmas. I love the cheer everywhere. But you know what? We are supercharged cheerful. We have a supercharged overdrive dynamic in our cheer because it is of heavenly, supernatural origin. As we celebrate the promise of Jesus at Christmas time, and as we celebrate the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, Peter says. That's the difference. But we mustn't be jammed up by disappointment. I, this last week engaged a young man at a Walmart, um, North Walmart parking lot with the gospel. And one of the first things he said to me is that I lost uh, a child, I had a child diet on Christmas Day a few years ago. And I asked him, has that jammed you up in your 
experience of God. And he said, oh, yeah. It's hard to handle it. And, you know, I, I began to think about the fact that Herod, King Herod killed all those babies, two years old and younger. Why is that in the Bible? I think it, there's a reason for it. It says that Rachel, the mother of the symbolic mother of, all, of the children, she would not be comforted. Those moms would not be comforted. There is a dimension where you, in this life, you're, you're, not, you're not fully, fully, joyfully comforted when you lose a child. You have the comfort of God, but you know, there's a certain dimension of comfort that must wait till later. Those of you that have had that horrible experience of losing a child know that. But the promise of Christmas, the promise of the Savior coming is that there is hope even in the midst of the worst possible bereavement. It's there. And we, we latch onto it, we grab onto it, and there will be a time face-to-face -face with Jesus that, that every problem will be resolved. And if you have lost a child, every single uh, there will be absolutely, ultimately, no loss for you. It will all be made up in the heaven realm. There will, there will be nothing lost to you. It seems like loss now, but your experience there will make up for everything that feels like loss now. This young man prayed to receive Christ as his Savior, turned to Christ. I could tell in his heart he wanted to see his kids again, his child again. And... Uh, he did, and he was so grateful to have the hope of the gospel. What I shared with him was that the little tidbit I shared with him was that we don't understand about the full dimensions of suffering and, and, um, in this world, but we do know that God himself suffered in Christ on the cross. He's not foreign to the suffering experience. He is fully aware of what it's like to suffer, uh, and he knows what our suffering is like, and he is for us, he loves us, and he's with us, and wants to help us in our deepest, deepest bereavement, whatever the case might be. He didn't stay jammed up, that guy, that young man at Walmart parking lot. He got some help. Are you jammed up about anything? Are you tempted to be jammed up? Are you believing emotional lies about something like Elijah did? Does it seem like the star has disappeared? Turn to the word. A savior is born to you in, a king is born to you in Bethlehem. The star will reappear. Get sorted out with God. Turn to the still small voice. Turn to the still small voice. Get inner peace and reconciliation with intimacy with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. The true you is that person, the jammed up, tempted to resent, be resentful, cynical person is not the real you. A good verse that's a helpful verse, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So, when we're faced with that 
temptation to believe emotional lies, choose to trust God and find yourself in intimacy with him, listening to his voice and responding to his voice as Elijah did. God is a miracle for you to turn your heart from from emotional lies, from lies to intimacy with him. Second talking point, God has a miracle for you to turn your heart from a paralyzing disappointment to an energizing anointment. A paralyzing disappointment is turned to an energizing anointment. 1 Kings 19, verse 15, as our story continues with Elijah on the mountain, Mount Horeb, wind, earthquake, fire, still small voice. Then what happens? Then the Lord said to him, go. God always causes us to move, to act. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint, that's a key word there, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Immediately, God calls Elijah to a Holy Spirit-anointed ministry, right away. And as you turn from disappointment and, and believing emotional lies to intimacy with God in worship and closeness, Intimate, spirit-to-spirit traffic with God. It will always move you to blessing others. Jesus said, freely receive, freely give. Proverbs says, he waters others, will himself be watered. Love sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, that's what we reap. Someone put it this way, we only get to keep what we give away. So Elijah has this experience of God, the power of God flooding him in intimate worship and connection. Now I want you to give that anointing away. Give it to the anointing of the Spirit, to um, Hazael, anoint him king over over Syria. And also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So Elijah didn't take that in this new surge of vision he has for his life. He doesn't take that as, man, I'm putting you on the shelf. I'm putting you out to pasture. Now I've got a new prophet coming. It's more like you are going to have a full life to the very end of your days. The best days, Elijah, are ahead Can you receive that from God today? The best years of your life are are still ahead. That's what God wants to say to you today. And Elijah experiences that. He gives the anointing away to these two kings and to this young prophet, and that he himself, last day of his life on this earth, was the best because the fiery chariot comes and he gets taken up, doesn't even die, goes to glory. Next time we see Elijah, it's uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. (laughs) He's still alive hanging out with Moses and Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. It's awesome. He had a great future still to come because he turned away from the emotional lie and his discouragement to intimacy with God. It triggered it. And then he stepped out and ministered, gave the anointing away to others. The shepherds did that, remember, on, uh, when Jesus was born? It says that they went away. Verse 17 of Luke 2, 
Now, when they had seen him, the shepherds had seen Jesus, they made, they made him widely known, and everybody marveled. I don't think it was just because of the content of what they said. I think it was that Holy Spirit-anointed enthusiasm in which they said it. Samuel Shoemaker, you've heard me quote him before, 1800s Presbyterian preacher, our experience of Christianity can be measured by our inability to keep still about it. And the shepherds and Elijah gave it away, gave away their experience of the Spirit. I have mentioned to you before that the first church we served in was in Yakult, Washington. Brenda and I, our first year of marriage, first year of teaching school, first year of pastoring. Here's a picture of the church. Still there. Foot of Mount St. Helens. And I mentioned to you before that I turned the church over to an older, um, older guy named Pastor Hannes Workala. He's an old, old Finnish pastor. He was old when I turned it over to him, but he lasted there 30 years. <laughs> but I wanted to say this further about Hannes Workala. He, had, he was a fun-loving guy. I went to see a, a different church that he pastored before this when, when I was in high school, and I noticed it was a winter day and there was snow on the ground, and someone had done donuts in the parking lot. And um, I, I mentioned that to Hannes' wife, Anita. I said, look, someone's done donuts in your parking lot. She said, oh, that's my husband. He likes to do that, do donuts with the car in the snow. <laughs> but I want to say this. I had nothing in common with Hannes Workle except Jesus. And this one other thing. I had nothing culturally or, or hobby-wise, interest-wise. When I was in high school, I had zero. In, but me, myself... And several of my friends habitually went to his house after school and in the evenings because he gave us the anointing of the Spirit. One thing he could do, and he did it. And it, it did my soul good to know he gave. We would experience the Holy Spirit, a fresh baptism of the Spirit. We would have visions of Jesus. It was the glory of God would come. This guy had an anointing of giving people the Spirit. And he always got more of the Spirit when he gave it away. And it does my soul good to know he gave that Yakult church the Holy Spirit for 30 years. <laughs> oh, praise God. I think that's what, uh, I think that's where I'm going to end today. Let's stand up. I'm gonna, while you're standing, I'm going to pray with you. I want to I tell you in just less than two minutes. what I would have preached had I had more time. <laughs> and that is that the anointing of the Spirit that Elijah get, gave away was filled with hope. For these two kings, you're going to be amazing kings. For Elisha the prophet, you're going to be an amazing king. They filled those guys with hope. And in Jesus Christ, as we 
give away. Whatever we have in God, look for opportunities to give away. We give people hope. We can give people hope. Let's put that hope acrostic on the screen through helping people, opening our life to somebody, praying for somebody, encouraging someone. In weakness, we do these things, and God floods them with supernatural hope sent from heaven. It's a great way to live, to live inspiring people with hope. It's a supernatural hope. And what the shepherds and what the wise men discovered was that hope now has a name. Hope is now a person, and the person's name is Jesus Christ. So whatever you hope for in these days of Christmas, that you won't gain weight, better health, family blessing, election justice, there's something far more fundamental, and that's our spiritual hope. His name is Jesus. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The glorious morn's name is Jesus. Put your hand on your heart. Say this with me for those that are receiving Christ today in the audience here or on channel 11 at 11 or on our YouTube channel or live feed right now. This salvation declaration is short, but it's potent. It's from Romans 12. Say this after me. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead. I call upon Jesus to save me right now. Those three items in Romans 12 assures us we are now born again and on our way to heaven. Your spirit was dead, now it's alive. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, be sure you tell a Christian friend you respect. They will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You need follow-up. We'd like to disciple you too. Come to our church or join us. We'd like to come alongside and help you in a relationship with Christ. If we can help you, we want to do that. And this prayer continues, my friends. Now may the God of hope fill you, every one of you and me, with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost sent from heaven. May we abound in hope in these days of Christmas and may the supernatural hope that rests upon you be an anchor to your soul, mighty and steadfast according to the word of God. Supernatural hope now abides faith, hope, and love. Eternal. Heavenly hope is Burned into your deepest being, your deepest soul. Enjoy hope, my friends. God bless you, and Merry, Merry Christmas to you all. Amen. Amen.